Hey friends, I'm your San Francisco Realtor, Sean Conkler. On this episode, I sit down with Laura Pena, who is the head of marketing and a recovering serial entrepreneur. The Realtor 180 podcast, where valuable conversations and industry experts collide. Let's dive in and transform your business today. Today, we talk about the core tenets of niche marketing, how to segment your list for the most effective results, and how to think outside the box when it comes to being memorable in the eyes of your clients. We also discuss the areas that most agents fail. So stay tuned. This is a fantastic episode. So I'm going to just fire some questions at you. In a competitive real estate market, how does an individual realtor separate themselves and stand out from the, from the rest of the agents out there? What would be your approach? Well, from a marketing perspective, I can tell you that it's all about the who. Who are you talking to? What is your target person? That's when you need to start thinking about how you sort of segment your marketing, but also your relationships. Are you speaking to a first-time home buyer or are you speaking to a real estate uh, savvy purchaser who's done this a million times? I would say as a first-time home buyer, I needed a lot of communication and relationship. I wanted to feel held. <laughs> it's a really daunting process. Uh, and I was going into this sort of like unknown sea of contracts and terms that I had zero clue how to translate. So as a marketer, this is a, these are the things that I'm thinking about. Ethnographically, like what are the people experiencing that allows me to make myself better at communication with them, better at relationship building with them? To go back to that earlier part, when you said segment your list, what do you specifically mean, mean by that? If you have 10 people on your list that you're selling, that you're trying to uh, find a home for, as an example. Uh, what, are, what are the commonalities between those lists and what are the differentiators? The commonalities might be first-time home buyer uh, or somebody who is purchasing their second home. Like you can make it really simple. And I think from there, I, I think it, the story starts to tell itself. So is this somebody who's ready to purchase a home or is this somebody who's just starting to get their feet wet? There's another segmented list. So now you have like two people on one list, three people on another, five people on another. You can absolutely learn how to cultivate a very specific kind of relationship with them. And there's this term in marketing called LTV. It's called lifetime value. And marketers think about that from very early on in the process of acquisition. And I don't want to call um, a buyer an acquisition, but just to sort of like be able to compare terms. Um, how do I, A, show them why I'm different and why I'm special and why I'm good and why I will work for them? Two, make them feel confident joining, you know, my squad, if you will, and three, ensuring that they evangelize for me and come back. How do I do all of those things and think about that at the very beginning? You made me think of my inbox. And 
the very most basic piece of that is just simply segmenting segmenting even if i think if agents just started incredibly simple and put a group of buyers together the group of sellers together and then the group of agents together don't send your stupid market report to agents who are already sending out their reports they don't want or need that yeah it's interesting how simple it's it is and how few actually do it it's a poor market to message match it doesn't match i think it's really easy to get caught up in this like i will do a through z let me check these things off the list but you're actually forgetting that that it's all about really it, it is about relationship building you know if you're not thinking about your end you know my scenario it's an end user but in your scenario it's a it's a buyer or a seller how do you how do you make sure that you are capturing all of their needs the way that they live their life and you know maintaining that relationship with them over time and that's the part that people just need to step back and look at is and you said it and that's it's the 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 mo the absolute most important part to our business is we lead with relationship it's like our back end motto and for the brand new buyer who's uncertain, scared, they don't know what to expect. They have no idea what's happening. They have panic attacks. <laughs> they totally do. I always tell my clients after your client, after your offer gets accepted, if it's incredibly competitive, the next morning you're going to think, oh shoot, what did I just do? And I'm like, it's normal. Let's figure out a strategy in advance. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe you're on the other end of that phone call. You know, what is the thing that you can do? Take them out for brunch, <laughs> you know, like make them feel like it's normal. It's okay. Like, you know, these are big decisions. They're huge decisions. And, and essentially putting that or putting it together in a way as an agent and, and kind of walking through, and this goes to any business, but walking, taking the, either the potential lead the client, the past client, taking them down a path and then just thinking about their journey. For you, for example, once you've already purchased, there's zero point in educating you on how to purchase. It's now moving you to the new category of building and maintaining a relationship while giving you the next road ahead. What's the next road ahead? Well, there's seasonal changes. There's things to how to prepare your home. And so from my seat, you just have to be adaptive and, and to go back to your point, just segment your list. <laughs> just really know who you're talking to and what keeps them up at night and address that thing. Yeah. And I think you said it right. Like, you know, you don't want to send uh, certain information to somebody who's just purchased the home. They've already gone through it. They don't need that newbie information. And uh, now I'll tell you what I'm seeking right now is I'm seeking somebody to handhold me through all the things that I now have to do with this house that I just purchased. It's like, now I'm over the hurdle of signing 3000 documents. Now what? Now I have contractors I need to hire. I have, you know, where can I get discounts on appliances? Oh, call me. I have a good list. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I think you've given me quite a few. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I don't know. And that relationship should not end at me signing that final paper. Um, and I, I can say, you know, just through my experience of working with you and then also, uh, you know, Josie, uh, the agent that you very kindly referred us to, um, I feel like we're friends 
And that's a good feeling. I know it may not be true, <laughs> but it, it, I feel taken care of despite, you know, the fact that I'm a year post post a uh, purchase. Well, here's the crazy data point that I've, I've really, we try to embody as the, as a team is the average buyer and seller on a national level stay in their homes for 14 years. So if they just purchased, that's 13 more years of follow-up that we're going to have and nurturing before the next trigger event. That doesn't mean that that it's going to it's going to end there because the average person this is also a national stat is they know three and a half people who are going to move by the end of the year. And so as agents, if we then adapt and continue to stay in front of our clients and figure out what do you need? Where are your challenges? How can I help? How can I be of service? When those referral opportunities come up, it's a slam dunk. We get the call. I talked to so many people in the past who they're like, oh yeah, we worked with this, this agent. They were amazing. Never heard from them again. There's another crazy stat where it's something staggering where home buyers say, like 80% of home buyers will use, say they'll use the same realtor to sell the home when they're ready, but only don't quote me on this, but it's only like 20% actually do. And it's because the large cross section of people just stop communicating. So even if you just flub up and you don't segment your list, but you at least stay in front of people and they don't unsubscribe, you at least have a fighting chance to make it to that next round. And there's so much opportunity. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, that I, as a marketer think about is not just what happens, uh, in order to capture somebody as a customer, like that's, uh, that's sometimes kind of the easy part. It's keeping them happy for however long I need to keep them happy for. And how do I keep them happy? I want to keep them happy too. It's not, it's not just because I feel like they're worth dollar signs. I actually genuinely care about their business. What problems can I solve for them? Like I need to really think about on a very regular basis, what are they encountering and how do I address it? How do I get it on top of it? How do I make sure that, that they come to us as a source of information that they trust? And that, that is beyond meaningful. And I'll tell you what, like just even as a, a, a purchaser of a home, I have sent your information out and Josie's information out tons of times. Like, so even if none of those stick, I am now your evangelist. Yeah. That is something money can't buy. That's because of that relationship building. And then you think about like these other people, you know, to your, to your point, people might stay in their homes for 13, 14 years. If I sort of take that and compare it to like trying to sell software to an enterprise company, those are really long sales cycles. So if you think about that 13 to 14 years actually as a sales cycle, what does that look like? How do you cultivate that relationship so that in 13 to 14 years, they are actually coming back to you, that you're still in front of them. And if you get that going over and over and over again, you actually have this really great pipeline of sellers and then also buyers because they're going to need to move into a new home. I want to back up a little bit for people listening and just chiming in to, to give them a little bit more context and qualification. So aside from being a newer home buyer and having gone through that entire process, you've owned small businesses. So you understand 
budget constraints, people constraints, time constraints, and you have also managed multi-million dollar budgets for global marketing companies as a director. So I want to just throw that out there for people because you can look at this from a very vast points of view and not just look at it as like, oh, we can throw literally a million dollars at this problem and solve it where it's, it's like, okay, we actually have to bootstrap this and how do we do it? And, and I would actually go back to my initial part is if, if you're a realtor sitting in a, in a seat, you should have a list of names. If you have a list of names, they should be segmented and that's a totally free activity you can sit down and do this afternoon. And so it's not all about just throwing millions at it. I always say to people who ask for my advice when they're starting to uh, think about building a business, they, they go, what do I do? I don't have any money. We all know that at the heart of a realtor's business is the referral. My question to you is, are you proactively building out your trusted referral network? My goal is to connect our community with top performing agents across the country. To join our exclusive community, visit www.realtor180.com and click the join our network tab to connect. And they said, well, where you don't have money, you're going to have to have time. And so, you know, you're basically, it's almost like you're paying yourself uh, to do the marketing. I mean, it, it, time is money, but, you know, that, that is the way that it goes. Unless you have somebody to, you know, influence you, or if you're partnering with another agent, uh, you know, make those phone calls. Make the phone calls. <laughs> Get in front of them. Take them to lunch. As we've talked about in this role, so much is based on the relationship. And the relationship is... It's you. And so there are aspects of the marketing. This is marketing right here. I can't farm this out. There's nobody I can give this to. It's it's me. It's my perspective. It's my voice doing this. So if you're on social media and you're farming it out, they're not building a bond with you. They're building a bond with whomever is or whatever the content is that's being farmed out. So I, I think that's something else to consider as you're looking at your marketing budgets. Great point. I mean, there, there is a, you are your own brand, Sean, and you are, you've been consistent from day one about what that brand is. And it's you and your voice carried throughout. And anybody who does work for you, it's still your voice. And that's incredibly important. And incredibly hard. But I also think it's, it's having a good team and it's with working with really talented people who understand how to create a consistent schedule, what it takes, how to identify the brand voice, what's the whole spirit of it. And it's to your point, again, it's, it's sweat equity. It's sometimes you just have to really figure out what the hole is and what to go after. So to talk about budget a little bit, because I know you and I have had this conversation and I just don't remember the stats offhand, but if, let's say there's a new agent sitting down They're they're doing decent. They have a little bit extra in, in the, in, in the bank so they can basically step on the gas and create some marketing. How much or what would you recommend they start with to, to, to start dabbling with, with marketing? Depending on the person, I'll say 10 to 20% of whatever your, your revenue is. So your net revenue uh, put that aside. That is now your media budget. That gives you the ability to experiment with 
online advertising, with uh, print advertising, with ta- again taking people to lunch. That's a that's a marketing budget thing. Uh, what are all the different things that you can do? Do you want to go to conferences? Do you want to speak at conferences? Uh, you know, the the what is kind of more complicated than the budget, but uh, that gives you the ability to have some wiggle room to experiment and then invest. And I think that's a really, 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 really important part is marketing is it's a science project. And there's a lot of stuff that we do that it's, well, I think we've built everything right. We'll see what happens. And you just, you kind of have to go back and look at your data after the fact and then measure it. And then if you don't have an established set of numbers, create an, create a set of numbers and then have it to measure against and then start figuring out, is it performing? Is it not performing? But you can look up a lot of things. Like if, if you're sending bulk emails, you can easily look up what a good click through rate is for this industry. Um, and, and kind of get some numbers. Yeah. I start with the goal, you know, it, it's like you can, yeah, those are your baselines. Uh, but what is your goal? Is your goal to get one phone call from someone through this particular campaign? You know, what will, you know, what is your sort of like, there's this thing that I call outcome and then impact measurements. The outcome is maybe that's the click through rate. Like, okay, I'm doing pretty well. Something's catching on. The impact is the impact that it has to your business. So I have just gained this new customer um, and I will make, you know, X percent commission on this. So, you know, if you don't start with a goal or you don't start with a, like a business bet, you're kind of just floating in, you know, floating in air. It doesn't, there's, there's nothing tangible it's like, oh, great. <laughs> I got a click through rate. Awesome. I'm doing, I'm doing so well, but it's like, actually, maybe not. <laughs> you know, did it, did it, did you achieve the goal? And then I also say, there's no such thing as bad data. Like, yeah, things aren't good. I have been doing this for 25 years and I still flunk sometimes, but that shows me how to improve. Like I learn as I go along. And that is simply the case for marketing. You know, we, I'm able to make far more educated decisions now and I'm far more experienced about understanding how to approach people. You know, it's still going to happen where things don't work. So I test and I test and I test, I get into that, you know, and that's a great thing for small business owners to do. When I first started my uh, businesses, you know, I've had a, a few at this point. That's what I did. I tested things in the market. I tried to fail as quickly as possible. And then I would iterate. And that would cost me less money, less time and get more positive results. That's such a good mindset too, is you're intentionally going out there to fail. Yes. It's a much healthier way to approach it than I'm going to get out there and be perfect. And then either A, your ego gets super dinged or you actually do pretty well, but then you don't improve it because you don't even know where that start point is. And so... Yeah, I, I, that's an important mindset to go into all of this. So with, there's two directions I want to go here. There's obviously a plethora of platforms and marketing strategies. Again, I'm going to keep it in the frame of in the real estate space, but there's newsletters, there's online, there's mailers, old school snail mail, there's 
different reports. There's obviously all the different social media channels. How, I don't want to ask the question because this is what everybody's going to ask is what's the best thing to do. Instead, I'm going to ask you, how would you come up with the best place to go? I talk to people. I find out where they're at. You know, it's, it's people, whoever your market is, talk to them, ask your, ask your happy current customers. I mean, in this case, your buyers or sellers, uh, talk to everybody, do some, you know, do some research. It's, it's not, it's actually not that hard when you ask them the question, you don't sound stupid by asking the question. You actually sound like you're curious and then you start there. So, you know, if I, in my world, it's like the executives, the people who write checks, and then the users. This is the world of technology. And I know LinkedIn is my world of executives. And Twitter, X, Twitter, can't remember what they're calling themselves now. Those are the users. And, you know, I have to have different, this is segmenting now. I have to have different messages for different people at different times. And, but I'm talking to a group of people who come together and make a decision. So in your case, you know, it's like, you're really just dealing with one or two people, but you know, where are they at? Where are they getting their information? Are they, you know, driving a lot and listening to your podcast? Are they, uh, you know, going on LinkedIn and looking at your, your market reports? Are they on, are they even on email? Like, I don't know. You just have to collect information. Yeah. I think that's such a good way to look at it is, yeah, collect the information and then try to figure out where they're hanging out and know where they're hanging out and then tailor your message. If you've got two bars across the street from each other and all of the buyers are in one bar, you're not going to go to the other bar. (laughs) You're going to go to that one. That's true. That's so I started my business by heavily focusing on open houses. And I would look at every open house as an opportunity for me to figure out something new. I would try, I would bring food, I'd bring music, I would bake cookies, I would have sign-in sheets, I would try to get, I tried everything and anything until I figured out what stuck. But I started with, to your point, I figured if somebody's walking into an open house they have buying a house on their mind or selling because they're neighbors. It was a much easier conversation because I already knew that 90% of the people showing up opposed to me walking into a cafe and soliciting my services there because maybe it's one person out of 90 at that point. It's the wrong, it's the wrong location. So I agree. I think it's incredibly important to figure it out. And then in addition to, because I did work in the newspaper industry many, many, many years ago. It was, it's wild. Like an ad would work one week and not work the next week. And then it would work again in three weeks, even though there was a dead spot. And so even within all of this, there's no, sometimes there's no rhyme or reason. Yeah. Things are seasonal. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, I, I planted all my crops. I watered them. I did everything. Now it's just, it's, it's fall. It's not spring. And so it's like the wrong thing is happening at that moment. Right. You got it. What are the most cost effective marketing strategies for startup startups with limited budget? 
I would say, because I've done this, and it's not that different than than what I was saying before, is you go out and you meet the people. Where are they at? Like, I, I used to go to conferences. Uh, when I started my marketing agency several years back, um, I had, like, very specific pockets of people I wanted to target. And so I found groups of gatherings. You know, this is our sustainability Sunday. And I would go to sustainability Sunday. And, you know, I, I, I just developed relationships with them. And if they, if I could tell them what I did in one sentence, but that sentence is enough for them to remember, they would spread that word for me. And I still, to this day, I still have really strong friendships. I still get referrals, which is hysterical because I'm not doing anything like that anymore. But people ask for advice now and people, you know, I can, I can direct them towards other people, but, uh, it it started with the basics. Like, you know, I imagine like, you know, in the eighties, you'd have to like go and put leaflets from door to door. I still get leaflets for pizza and I get leaflets for like lawnmowers. And, you know, I, I, I actually call them. So <laughs> it's, it's not rocket science. I, well, not the pizzas, but you know, we have some work to do on the house. <laughs> so yes. Yeah. It's funny. I get landscapers, um, painters, like windows, I, the actual, like people have gone around and left flyers on my house. I don't think I've ever called any of them. I'm a caller. Yeah. You should, you should think about it. I should think about calling them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shoot the shit. And just see what they're doing that day. Hey, what's up? What's up? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, so in this industry, actually in, in most industries, swag is huge. I have very particular thoughts on, on swag. And I've been in industries where I've really had to uh, be swag centric. I used to go to a lot of conferences and uh, have to hand things out. But my, I have sort of a couple of rules around it. One is that I don't buy anything cheap. And I know that's a really hard thing. And, you know, it's it, it can be very expensive. But if it's cheap, that, that says a lot about you. You know, I, I want one really nice quality thing. What would I use? So that's kind of my gauge is would I use this? Would I take this from someone? And if the answer is yes, that's, that's a pretty good indication that it, it's worth investing in. Uh, another actually really interesting thing that I did, and I did this uh, for a few years. I, I, I started getting really weary of swag. I just felt like there was so much waste. You know, I was at conferences half the year. and Everybody had t-shirts. I liked the socks. I'll be honest. If you, if you make a sock, I'll take a sock. But it was all just junk with logos on it. And I sort of decided to try something different where I was giving people, instead of me giving something to them, they were giving something to a local charity. So if I went to Seattle, I'd pick a women's shelter and uh, all they would have to do, it was like a super low barrier of entry. All they would have to do is come and put a little sticker on a poster board to say that they were engaging with us. And then that would equal a dollar amount uh, for this for this charity. And of course, you know, we always rounded up because, you know, we didn't we didn't want them to have uh, too low of an amount getting, coming to them. And that went so far that got us so much attention on social media 
It got us so much attention with local groups. It got enough attention where before we got to a conference, people were were coming up, to, you know, uh, planning to come up to see us. And that's because we were choosing local charities as well. I wanted to do something good for the world. And it was like that little switch. So instead of buying a $15 mug, I gave $15 to a women's shelter. And, and so I, I'm not sure there's meat on the bone for the real estate industry there, but I, I think my point in saying this is that there is something there. What is what is the thing that you can do that nobody else is doing that means something? You know, you don't want, you know, I'm going to toss most of the stuff in the trash is what it comes down to. It goes to the goodwill. And that's always been my apprehension is the industries I came in, came from prior to real estate was, you know, those 10 cent pens and 30 cent notepads and refrigerated, refrigerator magnets that literally just go in the trash. And I, I've had many conversations with the team of, I don't want to create landfill. And I, so I really love that idea. You know, it's, it's one of those things when you're giving to a charity, it's, it feels good. You know, it feels good for both sides. It feels good that this, this person literally just had to put a sticker on the board. So their, their, to your point, bar of entry was very low, but it feels good. And they know that it's going to a good place. And then the company has a good moral compass and they're doing something good. And so I actually really genuinely appreciate that. And I, that's not even remotely close to the answer I was expecting. Um, but I, I think it's a really, I feel like that's a great takeaway from this is to approach your marketing just different. Think outside of the box, just because Joe Schmo next door is doing whatever flyer or brochure or like, cheesy little thing you don't have to do it no no i you want to differentiate yourself anyway i mean that's simply one way to do it but uh create something meaningful for yourself and for us with with our brand we sell at a luxury price point and so it feels very uncomfortable to be giving clients something not luxury or of quality when when it is in gift form and it's it's got to be proportionate to to them into their lifestyle. Like for example, we did, this is a, a plug for, for Yeti, but we did uh, branded Yeti mugs, which was incredibly expensive to send to hundreds of people, but they were so well received. I have one. They're beautiful. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. And, and they, and people use them, right? Like every, every now and again, they're going to pick it up and they're seeing your name in a positive light. I'm a walking Homeward Associates, <laughs> like advertisement in my house. I love that. And you, you have the best, you have the best swag. <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't post things on social media very often, but if they, I, I should just like be a Homeward Associates fan page. Yeah, please do. That would be amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, again, we, we always sit down. So we actually have in-house, we have a rule. So we'll actually order something like we did aprons, really nice embroidered, those really high quality aprons. And uh cat ordered a few of them and then we mailed them to ourselves. So we actually got it in the mail to see what that experience would look and feel like more. It's got to feel good. 
And then when somebody, when you open it, it's like, what's that experience? And then once we've like really refined that experience and here's actually a really little, it's a small thing that goes a long way is, and it's cat hates doing this, but we actually handwrite all of our labels <laughs> because I want our clients to know that this is, it's personal and it's a hand curated experience. And it's not about the masses. It's about that one individual. And so I want people to see it and receive it and be like, this is cool. I like this. So I did something kind of similar recently. Uh, so I, I have a, a clothing brand, a streetwear clothing brand uh, called Prehistoric. And when I launched, um, I gave a sort of a surprise free gift with any purchase. And it would be a mixtape that I made and I, you know, signed. And I would also send it with a Walkman because <laughs> so, I'm making an assumption that no, nobody has tape players anymore. So I sent, I sent, a, I sent a Sony Walkman with it, with the like, you know, little cheap uh, headphones. And um, I did that because I wanted somebody to have the experience that I have when I am thinking about my culture, when I am thinking about what I'm wearing or how I want people to perceive me. Like this is, this is what's in, these are the, the songs that I'm listening to that bring me back. And I want somebody to share that experience with me. I love that. That's such a cool that's such a cool way to look at it. And I, and I think if nothing else, if, if somebody listened to this and they're looking at their marketing, it's, it's not about hitting these massive, huge targets all the time, especially in this business. When, when you sell a house, our commissions are, they're pretty significant. And so if you can just build that relationship where they trust you and hire you, it, a few houses pays for all of this for, for the bulk of the year. And so it's slow it down and really create a meaningful, impactful experience, a moment for somebody. Yes. I spend by far the biggest bulk of our marketing money on our past clients for referrals than we do on trying to find brand new leads. I, I We spend exponentially more on our past clients because to the beginning part of this conversation, they already know us. They already like us. They already trust us. And now we already know that they're going to know three people who are going, going to make a move by the end of the year. And so how do we stay present, creating value, providing value, and they pass our name so we get the call? Amazing insight. And that I think you've probably discovered something that takes, a, uh, takes people quite a while to get to. And it, it goes down to understanding the user. In, in your case, your, your personal relationships with your, your buyers and sellers, like, you know, you're not just trying to stay on the top of their list. You're doing that. And it's a yes. And I, I want to make sure that I have a really strong relationship that they trust me. So the way that all of this starts is I only will work with people I like. Like if, if we're just not going to be a good match, I don't, I will refer them out to somebody else. I can't, I just, I don't have the bandwidth to work with people who are mean or hostile or just unreasonable. I, I don't personally have the bandwidth. So I, I have a very refined filter of who I will work with. And then after that point, these are people I want in my circle. 
It's not I'm fighting to be in theirs. I want them in mine. And so they do become friends. And I like I shoot texts with clients and calls and go grab coffee with them and hang out with them all the time. And the bulk of the people, my closest friends, if you you know them well, <laughs> but my closest friends were friends before they bought properties. And we're, we've maintained that relationship afterwards. And then I've worked with other family members and it just keeps growing from there. And so, I, you know, it goes, marketing goes to that simple rule of just treat people how you want to be treated. Treat people how you want to be treated. And then uh, the evangelism happens on its own. I mean, your, your best, anybody's best customers will always come from a referral and I, I just went to, I was in New York last week. So I'm working as head of marketing for um, uh, Terminal 49, which is, um, it, it, it's essentially, you know, like a, a software company with incredible amounts of data that are trying to make the lives of people in the supply chain and logistics industry better. And that's an incredibly old school industry. And I met, you know, I, I really just started. So I had the the luck, really the privilege of going to meet these customers. And so I'm both, you know, making a connection with people, but also, you know, onboarding. And a, a, a few of them, you know, you walk into a room and they're kind of, they can be kind of indifferent. They're not sure why, you know, they don't want to be sold to. So that's actually like a really important thing to note is people don't like being sold to. Um, and we approach the conversations, you know, with how are you, how are things going? And then how can we help you do better? And we didn't have anything to sell them. And by the end of these conversations, not only were they engaged with us, but they were willing to do case studies with us. They wanted, they wanted more information. They wanted to get as involved with us as possible. And to see the difference between walking in that room and leaving that room, it, it, it makes a difference to connect. And if you can connect in person, even better. So it, it, you will never be able to spend enough ad dollars to replace that. And we listen to them. You know, we listen. How do, we, how do I make myself better at what I'm doing through them? How do I make their lives better and let them know that I'm trying to make their lives better? It, these are simple things that can go across any industry, any industry. hundred percent. It, it, it's the rule is people love to buy, but they hate to be sold. And I mean, how many times have we walked into a store and the salesperson starts to say something and we're like, nope, just looking. And you dart your eyes and you just like beeline away from them because we don't want to be sold. But I love the, even your mindset going into it, like the white flags waving, like I'm not selling you anything. Yes. Yeah. You don't want to slide something in there at the last second. Again, authentically have conversations with people and really understand where they're at and where they're starting from. It, it, it changes the conversation. Yes. Question for you. What are three things realtors should do before they start working on a marketing plan? Before they do anything, they should figure out what's feasible. So working with a lot of small clients, uh, including actually some uh, some real estate agencies, um, 
you know, they want to do everything. They want to be number one on Google. You know, they, they want to be the person of choice, uh, but they actually can't maintain it. So you really do need to plan for what it looks like to have consistency, regardless of what it is, whatever it is you choose. So if I'm going to write uh, content, can I do that? Can I commit to doing that every week? Can I send a newsletter every week? You know, like you really cannot be inconsistent. And that, you know, once you drop off because you're too busy doing something else, everything drops off. And even though you might not see these upfront results, things grow over time. And so that's why being able to, to have a, a plan and a backup plan when those things aren't working out is really important. So you know, does that mean you're hiring somebody to do it? Does it mean you're doing it yourself? If you're doing it yourself, you have to carve time out, you know, to make sure that you can complete it. Um, there's so many tools right now. And I think, you know, we can get saturated with all the tools that do all the different things. Just pick something simple. Yeah. I start out with things that I think I can complete. I'm going to do one newsletter a month. And then, you know, then that gives me room to scale up if I want to scale up, which likely will happen. Um, the other thing that uh, you should do is make sure that you have consistent brand messaging. Actually, like bring in a designer, you know, put that money up front to get all your design assets in order. And so a design asset is not just a logo. It's your colors. It's your fonts. It's templates for your newsletters. Uh, it, it, it could be a whole world of things. Uh, you don't have to make it complicated, but you, you want to know that if, if I see a Homeward Associates logo, even if I don't see the words, I know it's you. Like I instantly recognize it. So I instantly recognize it because it is completely across everything that you do. Um, and you didn't overcomplicate it at all, but you're consistent. Um, so create consistency with your brand and with your ability to just market in general. And then three, I like to, I have this thing that I call sort of an experimental work stream. And what that is, is it gives me the ability, it gives me permission to try new things. Uh, and so what that looks like for me is I, I usually pick something. So that something will always answer whatever that goal is. So if my goal is to get one new customer a month, then, you know, then I'm doing the things that, that might help push that ticker forward. So if that is a LinkedIn advertisement, or if that is a webinar, or if that is, you know, what are all the different things that you can do that answer to that goal? And then how do you know they're working? So, you know, goals are, again, going back to goals, always super important, and then try something new. And People tend to get stuck in, I need SEO, I need Google advertisement, I need, you know, but there's actually the most successful people are doing something different <laughs> and they're not doing it because they're, they succeeded right out of the starting gate. They experimented and they went through some really rough times with it, but they persisted. And that's where, that's where true success comes from and true knowledge. The amount of learning you get from that is exponential. I love that. It all reminds me of working out. <laughs> it's like you don't ever go to the gym, right? You don't go to a gym. You have one hard workout and you're like, well, I'm fit for life. That's it. I'm done. True. Well, it's, I, I say that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you show up, you try it, you hit a plateau, you change your diet, 
you make some more changes, you hit a plateau, you hire a trainer, you make some more changes, you plateau. And it's like this constant evolution, but it's never done. It's just, you keep morphing it. And and it reminds me of my newsletter. When I started in this business almost seven years ago, somewhere in there, I very quickly figured out I cannot get this newsletter out on time each month. So I hired a virtual assistant and once we started doing it, my commitment was it's going out hell or high water every month. And since that day, it's gone out. And to your point, it's evolved so many times. It just, this, I would get feedback from a client or a friend or somebody be like, hey, I really liked this section. So we would make note of that and try to put a variation of that section back in and see what happens. And then we played around with longer copy, shorter copy, and it just continues to morph and grow and, and evolve. And it, and it evolves from feedback. Somebody will just shoot me a quick email and I'll grab it and be like, Hey, can you, you know, tell me more about this. And, and to your point earlier, it's not a sales pitch. I'm actually curious of what do you like about this? What do you not like about it? What do you want to see more of? Because ultimately if you unsubscribe, I've lost. And that's just one little thing that we're doing. That's that's in addition to optimizing the website and doing social media and having videos going out and our other email communications. It's just one little piece of this puzzle, but the consistency component, which is actually the previous episode we just released was all about being consistent, not even good, not definitely not perfect. Just do it. Yeah. Don't worry about perfection. It doesn't exist anyway. Done is better than perfect. And that is like the mindset of agility, being agile. How do you, if you wait forever to get something perfect, it will never, it just, it's not going to happen. You won't get it out. It's going to go a little bit against what you just shared, but I think you should have an idea of your brand. But I also think to your point, don't get gridlocked on it. I literally had lunch with an agent yesterday who has been in the business for six months. She's brand new. And I said, do you have a list of all like your entire sphere? She's like, I do. I was like, that's amazing. Have you messaged them? And she's like, no, I don't have a brand. And I was like, you don't need a brand. Like you don't need a font or a color. You just need to shoot them a message and be you. That is your brand. You are your brand. That's actually a really good point for six months, she hasn't done literally anything. And it's, she could just email somebody and say, Hey, I was thinking about you. I just wanted to let you know, I'm now doing this. Mm-hmm. You don't need all of this other swag. And and I will hit that point home by saying I closed, and I'm not saying this to brag, but I closed, I, I think five or $6 million in transactions when I first started before I ever had a website before it was ever there. No one can search my name and find anything on me. And so you can find success even before you have these pieces, if you're doing the other components right. But like, don't stop, just go do it, do something. That's a great point. And that's actually a really uh, nice distinction, I think, between, you know, what I do on a regular basis with technology and what you do, which is, is one, I would, I would gather to say, hundred percent about relationships and your network 
And so it is nice to kind of take that and, and think about it as it's really me, you know, at the end of the day, it's not anybody who works with you at the end of the day, it's you. And what do you want? How do you want people to see you? And how do you want to show people that you care? I a hundred percent agree. And I think that's the perfect way for us to end cap this. We did not touch on a ton of stuff. I would love to have you back on. Um, so we'll have to, we'll have to schedule it for you to come back. I will put in the show notes down below so people can find your business, the prehistoric. And then um, if somebody wants to actually reach out to you and connect, I will, we'll make sure there's, there's opportunity for that. Lauda, thank you. This was, this was amazing. It flew by way faster than I expected. Um, so I appreciate, I appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Realtor 180, where industry experts elevate your business. Be sure to subscribe and share this episode with a friend. Until next time, keep thriving.